Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Premiums for prime home loans. A 6,000 year long bubble. And suitable or rather unsuitable SIPs. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Elaine Moore and I'll be bringing you the financial lowdown in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Lucy Warwick-Ching. Hello. Tanya Poli. Hi. Joe Cumbo. Hello. And our special studio guest, Tom Beckett, Chief Investment Officer at P Sigma Investment Management. Hi. Let's start then with the money news. This week, the Bank of England downgraded its expectations for growth, saying that the financial crisis has inflicted more damage than previously thought. Borrowers have long been on the sharp end of the crisis, but in recent weeks, there's been some good news in the shape of new mortgage deals. But not every homeowner can benefit from these new rates. So, Tanya, who is being turned away from these historically low deals? Well, it's it's one of those factors where if you sort of dig down into the details of um, these new rates that are being, being launched um, by people like HSBC, Santander, NatWest, just to name a few, um, if you look into the details, actually, if you're looking to borrow um, sort of loan amounts of more than 500,000 or 550,000 in the case of Santander, um, you won't be able to get these deals. They basically, HSBC has a five-year fix at 2.99%, but that's that's limited to people borrowing £500,000 and less. And if you want to borrow more than £500,000 with um, HSBC and you want to take out a five-year fix, they actually increase the rate from 2.99% to 3.99%. So they clearly don't seem to be wanting to have um, sort of people borrowing large amounts on their books. So let's just run through some of these low rates then. You mentioned HSBC. Who else is offering these new rates? We had Santander come out a couple of weeks ago. Um, theirs is obviously a loyalty deal for um, existing current account customers or um, existing mortgage customers. Um, they've basically got the same rate as HSBC at 2.99%. Um, it's again a five-year fix. Um, they limit theirs to £550,000. Um, so again, if you want to borrow more than that, you're not really going to be able to get that low rate deal. And why do you think that mortgage providers are not interested in those who are seeking large loans? I think there's probably a range of issues. I think some of them just don't want to take on um, borrowers with um, massive loan amounts. Others may be wanting to, they might have a tranche of certain amount of lending they can do at that rate. So they'd rather have um, more borrowers at low amounts so they can kind of broaden and diversify um, their risk. Um, I think that's probably the main issues. Really. I mean, high street banks have been kind of relatively sort of staying away from kind of large loan borrowers for quite a while now. Um, it tends to be private banks that want to have those um, kind 
kind of borrowers on their books. So this would indicate to me that although we've had lots of news out recently saying that banks will be lending more, they will be lending more, but just not a lot more necessarily. Well, I mean, they're obviously, they, like we've talked about before in the, in the show, but they're obviously targeting kind of low-risk borrowers. So what they see as low-risk borrowers are those with um, bigger deposits or more equity in their home. So that's why we're seeing all these deals kind of at 60% loan-to-value. Um, they also obviously don't want it to be um, huge loan amounts either. So this is obviously where the, the question's coming. Obviously, we're, they're going after those kind of plain villa borrowers that they kind of feel most comfortable with. So if you want to borrow, say, £500,000 or more, you can get some of these high street deals, can't you? But you're just going to pay a little bit more. Well, NatWest uh, has a five-year fix at 2.95%. That's the headline rate. Um, that comes with a bigger fee of £2,495, I think. Um, and they actually will lend up to £1.5 million. So they're obviously a bit more comfortable with um, lending to larger um, borrowers seeking larger loans. Um, First Direct, they have a number of deals. I mean, they tend to... There's further restrictions that some of these other lenders kind of introduce. First Direct, um, they will charge on some of their products. They have... Um, they charge a certain amount of fee for each £400,000 of lending. So if you're borrowing under £400,000, you probably have a fee of like £1,999. If you were then looking to borrow £600,000, they would double that fee. So there's certain ways that other lenders, that they might be happy to lend to you if you want a larger loan, um, but they're going to slightly penalise you. You will pay for, for it. Yeah. So you mentioned private banks as well. So this is where uh, naturally people would go if they were seeking a, a million pound loan or more. Yeah, it tends to be um, the best choice in terms of, uh, usually for those borrowers that actually have um, a certain amount of um, assets that they're happy to transfer across because that's where the private banks um, really are happy to offer cheap rates if they feel they're going to have this kind of investing sort of further relationship with you rather than just the borrowing rates they're more likely to offer you cheap um, headline rates so some of the people I've been speaking to some of the brokers I've been speaking to this week have been saying that they can sometimes get five year fixes at 2.57% um, which is lower than any of the, the high street banks um, but again obviously it depends on what the client is the client will probably have to meet certain um, you know certain net wealth uh, have had to have certain assets um, for that private bank to actually want to offer you quite a cheap deal so you need to go out and look for it yourself. Thank you very much, Tanya. To read more about large loan deals, look out for Tanya's article in the money section of this weekend's FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, are high-risk investments ever suitable for SIPs? First, though, gold. The precious metal has had a positive value for 6,000 years now, which, according to the chief economist of Citigroup, makes it the longest bubble in human history. Some commentators think that gold prices will continue to rise, and yet gold shares have had a bad year. So is this the right time to gain exposure or not? Lucy, you've been looking at this question all week. Has it turned you into a gold bug? Well, I've been um, aware of gold since a a very young age, actually. My father, who's retired now, was a precious uh, metals analyst. So he's written books on gold prices. And I've kind of seen all the different aspects of gold from as I was growing up. But this week in particular, what seems to be interesting is the fact that the gold price, although it may have come down slightly from its peaks from last year, um, seems to have kind of decoupled with the funds. um, And that's one thing that I think our readers would be particularly interested in. I'm going to throw this over to you, Tom. And I mean, why do you think there has been this decoupling between the funds and the price? Yeah, I think that there's, um, it's for a pretty obvious reason. Gold companies have been very bad at translating higher gold prices into higher gold profits. Um, Companies have failed to hit production targets repeatedly. Um, Companies have been very bad at returning capital to shareholders. 
Um, and at the same time as rising gold prices, it's now costing a lot more for companies to get that gold out of the ground. So extraction costs have gone up. Gold companies have been susceptible to rises and fluctuations in the oil price. And to get gold out of the ground is a very oil-heavy industry. Um, so that's obviously been a pressure point for profits as well and cutting into gold companies' margins, which is never good for the um, equities of those companies. And finally, you know, the other point is that inflation for gold miners has also gone up. Um, you know, you read all sorts of stories about people working on um, the Australian Pilbara region, which is an iron ore region rather than a gold region. Um, but there you're talk- hearing about sort of truck drivers earning 150,000 US dollars a year. Well, that might be good for them and their families, but it's not very good for the mining companies. So costs have gone up for these mining companies. So as you've r- rightly identified, whilst gold has had a pretty decent year and a pretty decent couple of years, gold equities have been uh, one of the worst performing asset classes you could possibly be in. So does this mean that gold is no longer the safe haven that investors have traditionally thought of it as? Um, I don't think gold is a safe haven at all. In fact, I don't think there's any safe havens in financial markets at all. So I'm not sure your readers and listeners want to hear that, but that's, that, is, that is the case. Um, you know, gold is certainly not a safe haven anymore because you just cannot have an asset class with such inherent volatility now, um, p- you know, pretending to be a safe haven within client portfolios. I mean, for us, it's just like any other risk asset now. In fact, actually, gold um, price performance has been pretty highly correlated to equities. So it's been a pretty good bellwether for the amount of liquidity flowing through markets. And and, um, you know, treat it now like a risk asset. And, you know, it's quite interesting that something quite strange has been happening in the gold price market in the last few weeks, because last week we saw um, the chairman of the ECB, now that's the European Central Bank, Mario Draghi, and the um, chairman of the Federal Reserve, Helicopter Ben Bernanke, both coming out and dropping massive hints that they're about to start the printing presses up once again and pump, you know, hundreds of uh, billions of dollars and euros uh, into global financial markets. Normally, gold would boom on the back of that, but gold went absolutely nowhere, something like you know, princely 1.5% on the announcement. So that's a clear indication that um, you know, gold is no longer the safe haven anti-currency play that it once was. And are there still any arguments for investing in gold? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, you can invest into it because ultimately I think it will have a hedge purpose upon um, nuclear options for um, uh, what I would see unacceptable behaviour for global central banks, the ultimate amount of money printing. I'm not talking about a couple of hundred billion dollars. I'm talking about trillions of dollars and euros, um, which eventually might be the uh, downfall of the Western financial society, which you probably want to hold gold um, on that basis. Apart from that, no, there's no real reason to. You don't get any return from it. In an income-hungry world, I think people are looking towards high quality global equities as being the new safe haven that to us makes a lot of sense so for me it'd be much more a case of holding companies like nestle rather than holding the gold price itself at this point in time and what about other ways of getting into gold so if you are disillusioned with things like funds and mining shares themselves is it still worth people having a look at things like etfs yeah, I mean, I'm neither a gold bug nor a gold bear at this juncture. I'm pretty balanced on the outlook for gold and gold equities. But for me, if you're going to invest in one of them, gold equities is the way forward. You know, companies have been rubbish at returns for shareholders, but they are cheap. Um, if you can ride the volatility and you have got a patient long-term investment horizon, then for me, these companies look attractive. And frankly, the corporate returns can't be any worse than they have been in the last few years. And at some point, these companies will hit production targets. So for me, gold equities have a place in a long-term investment portfolio. Um, so do mining shares. Um, at the moment, anything defensive's done well, anything cyclical's done badly, mining shares fall into that bracket. It's time perhaps to rebalance your portfolios towards some of those things that have done badly. So if you take a long-term view, then it could be the place for you, perhaps. Thank you very much, Lucy and Tom. To find out more about the returns offered by gold funds, look out for Lucy's article in the money section of the weekend's FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, unregulated investments. 
Pension investors are still being lured into high-risk investment schemes in spite of a crackdown on poor selling practices. Earlier this year, the Financial Services Authority set out plans to ban promotion of unregulated collective investment schemes to retail investors due to fears about their suitability. And yet the schemes keep on being sold. So, Joe, are investors risking their retirement future with these investments? Well, there are high risks uh, investments and sold to the appropriate type of investor, uh, a sophisticated investor. It shouldn't be a problem. But what um, the reports that we're getting in is that these alternative investments and unregulated collective investment schemes, which are subject to uh, lots of investigation by the FSA, are still being sold to lots of unsuspecting and we would describe as unsuitable investors who really don't have the knowledge about what their investments are going to do for them or the risks that it could place on their pension funds. So let's have a look inside these unregulated collective investment schemes. What what are they and what are they investing in? Well, they are pooled investments, essentially, and what makes them different from collective investment schemes is that they're not regulated uh, in this country, but they're allowed to be sold by authorised um, advisors by the FSA. The problems um, have come about that some of the investments that are put into use as uh, property, for example, or overseas, um, can be illiquid and difficult to to offload, etc. And individuals sort of unsure about um, managing those investments are popping them in. They're sort of moving money out of personal pensions into SIPs. They're being sold. The idea that it's going to deliver them sort of high returns and when things go wrong they can go wrong quite dramatically if if people don't understand what they're getting into. And what was it that the FSA was was trying to ban and have they been unsuccessful? Well the the problem is is that the the sales of these types of schemes just started to grow too quickly and that set off alarm bells basically because they want and they believe that they should only be sold to individuals who are sophisticated, uh, high net and the advisor who sells the uses should go through a process of determining whether that individual is suitable or not and that wasn't being followed um, rigidly enough. Tom, if I can bring you in, I mean, we've talked on The Money Show quite a lot about the fact that retirement savers are backed into a corner trying to find some kind of returns that can keep pace with the rising prices. Are you a fan of these schemes or do you think they should stay No, absolutely clear? not. And we try and keep things um, at Sigma as, as simple as possible. I totally agree with everything that Josephine said in her um, introduction to the, the piece on USIS. And I just don't think it's necessary in today's investment world to take the sort of risks that you might be taking with USIS. Yes, they might well be very suitable for a certain number of high level of understanding professional investors um, but for the general retail market we just don't deem to be sensible for two reasons one some of them are just too complicated and two we have an absolute focus upon liquidity if we can't get into and out of an investment on a near daily basis we're just not interested so I just don't think you just need to take the risk these days. Joe have you heard any horror stories and if people are unable to sell Yes them? we've heard um, I've heard quite a few horror stories actually one about um, individuals who've been convinced to give up their final salary pensions and shift it all in tens of thousands of pounds into hotel room schemes, for example. Others are being convinced by people who aren't even regulated financial advisors to, again, give up um, valuable pensions and, and buy hotel uh, rooms or, or property overseas where they, where they don't know a lot about the markets. And they're being promised returns of about 10% a year, which look very attractive. But I think the bottom line is if that these investment um, opportunities sound too good to be true, they probably are. And that's just the sort of the, the mantra that um, should reverberate in these kind of investment schemes. But I had a look on the internet and there is actually, if you look up SIP, um, USIS, 
overseas opportunities. There's lots of companies still promoting these types of sophisticated, high-risk investments to the broader market when promotion should really be restricted. So if you're an investor, you mentioned there, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Are there any other questions that an investor should ask themselves? Well, they should actually check that their advisor is regulated. For one, if if they aren't, they're not going to have any comeback to go to the uh, Financial Ombudsman Service or the FSA to make a complaint about the the poor advice they've been given. And and just do some due diligence on on what you're being told. You know, do a bit of research. And the third third issue is, is that if you're moving your investment into a SIP, you're SIP provider or administrator should do a basic level of due diligence over the investment just as a third kind of hurdle to get over to ensure that what is going into the pension isn't going to land you into too much trouble. Good advice there. Thank you very much, Joe. For more on risky pension investments and the investments that are permitted in SIPs, take a look at Joe's article in the money section of your weekend FT. That's all we have time for in this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you'll find all of these stories on our website, ft.com forward slash money. You can also follow our tweets at twitter.com forward slash FT Money. And if you have a question that you'd like us to answer, just email us. The address is money at ft.com. Next week, we'll bring you another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me, Tanya, Lucy, Joe and Tom Beckett, Chief Investment Officer at P Sigma. Goodbye. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor. What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.